this week on the Backtable Podcast. As IR has grown as a field in general through innovation and development and science, uh, the treatment of trauma in IR has grown as well and has benefited from, from that growth in IR in general. And our uh, trauma colleagues recognize that and they recognize that uh, we can bring to the table. I think it would be very challenging to run a level one trauma center uh, without capable IR service in collaboration with the trauma surgery service. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Backtable podcast, your source for conversations in health equity. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and at backtable.com. First, a brief message from our sponsor. RadPad was developed by physicians for physicians. Clinically proven radiation protection during cine and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RadPad radiation protection shields for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information and contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. And don't forget to tell them that you heard about it on the Backtable podcast. Now, back to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Backtable podcast. My name is Vishal Kumar. Special thanks to Aaron and the Backtable podcast team for offering this space as a means to continue the conversation around health equity. Today, I am truly humbled to be joining in conversation with Dr. Mark Wilson. Dr. Mark Wilson is vice chair and full professor in residence in the Department of Radiology and Biomedical Imaging at the University of California, San Francisco. He is chief of diagnostic and interventional radiology at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center. Dr. Wilson received his medical degree from the University of Michigan Medical School in Ann Arbor, after which he completed his residency and fellowship in interventional radiology at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Wilson is a friend, mentor, colleague, and partner. Mark, you have given me an opportunity to thrive in academic medicine, and I am ever grateful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Vishal, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me and for inviting me to participate in this awesome podcast. This is a great idea. And um, you are an awesome interventional radiologist, but another calling of yours would have been podcast producer or, or DJ, if I dare say. <laughs> but I'm glad you came to Interventional. <laughs> you could have done a lot of things. As always, Mark. Came into our field. <laughs> As always, you are too kind, too kind. Uh, before we begin, uh, I feel like I, could, I have pages of questions that I could ask you. Would you be willing to share anything about your own personal story, your own identity with our listeners before you became a diagnostic and interventional radiologist? Sure, I'd be happy to. It's a story you, you've heard. And basically, I, I was born and raised in Detroit. Um, my dad was an engineer. My mom was a teacher. And my dad had all sorts of books. He was an avid reader of everything, fiction, nonfiction, technical books. So he had all these books around the house and I would just pick up a book every now and then and just read through it. And, you know, just reading his books around the house, I learned things like the theory of relativity, learned how to program a computer in an old language called Fortran, which most reviewers probably aren't familiar with. It's an old language from the 80s. And, and before then, predated the 80s, actually. And 
I developed an interest uh, in just reading all those books and STEM topics, if if you will, and uh, in the STEM area. So I kind of focused on uh, math and computer science when I was in high school, and that served me well. Um, I did engineering in um, undergrad at the University of Michigan for undergrad as well as medical school. And I did chemical engineering, which was awesome. Um, I really enjoyed the theory uh, behind engineering, the problem solving. During the summers, I worked for a chemical company, and that was a great experience working in industry uh, during those summers. Uh, but I will say that I always had an, another interest uh, that I developed from reading some of his books around the house in psychiatry and psychoanalysis. He had a lot of books like that around the house as well. And I always thought that that was really interesting, Freudian theory, Jungian theory. And I decided that um, I, I wanted to pursue that. So I actually made the decision that I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to be a psychiatrist. And I was fortunate enough to get into medical school at the University of Michigan. And I began, you know, my medical studies there. So the summer after my first year of medical school, I wanted to do some type of research project uh, that dealt in the area that was in the area of psychiatry or psychoanalysis. And I stumbled upon a PI who was, whose research focus was psychiatric brain imaging. And I went and introduced myself. He was looking for someone to work on projects with him. And I took on a project with him where we were doing PET scans on phobia patients, patients with phobias to things like rodents or insects, things of that nature. And we would uh, scan them in the PET scanner at rest in resting state, and then scan them in the excited state by bringing the object of their phobia close to their face when they were in the scanner. And the University of Michigan back in the late eighties had one of the first, um, one of the early PET scanners. In fact, the person who perfected PET scanning, Dr. David Kuhl, K-U-H-L, H-L, he passed away a few years ago. He was the chief of nuclear medicine, or just chief of nuclear medicine at uh, the University of Michigan. And so they had a PET scanner there. So I was fortunate enough to be there at that time. So we did that project and we did see a certain part of the brain that was more active in the excited state and we published those results. We only had five patients in, in the uh, series, but it was such a novel thing, psychiatric brain imaging, that it, it did get published, even with a, a small and a five. And something happened when, I, when that paper was published and I saw my name in print, you know, it, it triggered something in my brain. And I decided that I wanted to see my name in print more. And, you know, it was nice to give a peer-reviewed paper, show that to my mom, and she was really excited about it and stuff. And I realized that, you know, a lot of this interest came out of just growing up in with my family, with all these books around the house. So I did some more projects with Dr. Mounts. He was my PI. And he was actually a radiologist. That was just his research focus, psychiatric brain imaging. We, we did some other projects that summer, which were just based on imaging and imaging analysis. And... There were projects which allowed me to use my engineering background to write code, to analyze images, to reconstruct images, to fuse images from different modalities, such as PET, 
fuse with CT or SPECT fuse with MRI. And it was just a great experience. And I thought to myself, I can't believe that people get paid to do this radiology that is. So a typical day that summer during the day, I would, you know, compile data, analyze the data. And in the evenings I'd meet with Dr. Mounts and we'd go over the data and, um, he challenged me to write several papers that summer. Some of them got accepted. Most didn't, but it was a very fruitful summer. I learned so much about radiology, about academics, about publishing. And, but most importantly, I discovered that radiology instead of psychiatry was my true calling in, in life for a medical, medical career. So that was a very successful summer from that standpoint. And that not only did, was I productive, but I discovered what my true calling was career-wise. The next summer, um, I met an interventional radiologist who, uh, welcomed me into, uh, their, their suite and his lab to do research. And that was Dr. David Williams. And who's still a mentor of mine, a dear friend too. And Michigan had one of the first IVA scanners, intravascular ultrasound scanners. And I was able to image in real time uh, with IVAS the constriction and dilation of vessels that were subjected to vasoactive agents like epinephrine, uh, vasodilators, what, what have you. And we were able to image that in real time in cross-section with IVAS. Again, had never been done before. Again, the, it was very novel, so that was published as well. And you know, again, that, that, that trigger in my brain to see things that I worked on published was once again, firing on all cylinders. So I had a very productive summer with uh, Dr. Williams as well. And it was also productive, not in the sense that we published a lot, did a lot of research together, but it introduced me to the field of interventional radiology. And, uh, from that point on, my fate was sealed. I knew I was going to my, my plan was to go into radiology and to, uh, specialize in interventional radiology. So throughout all this time, I was hanging out in the radiology department. You know, I hope I wasn't too much of a nuisance. I was just so curious. I would do radiology clinical rotations and I was still doing research with Dr. Mounts and Dr. Williams during my, th uh, third and fourth years of medical school. And I kept hearing about this place, UCSF, and there were, um, a couple of faculty at Michigan who had worked or trained at UCSF and they kept telling me about this awesome place on the West coast, UCSF, UC San Francisco, which I really had, didn't know that much about. So I started doing some research about it and learned about, you know, the rich history of radiology at UCSF, similar to history at university of Michigan. They're both very similar institutions in that respect. And there's a lot of actual cross-pollination of faculty from both places to the other, one place to the other. And, um, so I thought it seemed like a really awesome place to, to train. I never thought in a million years I would get into, to UCSF. Uh, but I took a stab and applied and interviewed and, um, I was very fortunate and blessed to match there. And that's where I did my residency. So that's how I found a way to UCSF to make a long story short. <laughs> Started out with reading books in my dad's library and, uh, learning about computers and developing an interest in psychiatry, which actually led me to radiology. <laughs> you know, Shaw, you do a lot of, I'm kind of going to digress here. 
you know, a lot of what you do is outreach to students, young students, high school, college, medical school. And I think it is so important that you and others are doing that because I, I, I had no idea what radiology was when, when I went to, even when I went to medical school, it wasn't on my radar at all, let alone when I was in college or high school. And now the fact that, you know, there are young people who know what this field is, they have an idea of what it has to offer, all the variety in, of the field. It, you know, no matter what you're interested in, you know, there's something in radiology for you. And I had no idea that that field existed and how awesome it was. And I, I'm just so fortunate that I basically found it by accident. And I think the early outreach that you're doing, that people, other folks in our department are doing, like Matt, Matt Bucknor, for example, that with Steve Hetz, what we try to do in the IR lab to bring in uh, young scientists and expose them to science and radiology. And I think that's going to be essential for a field to grow and to become more diverse. So my hat's off to you, Michelle, for all the work you put in, in that area. It's, it's making a difference. Oh, thank you, Mark. And thank you for sharing that incredible story. Uh, there are so many talking points I feel like I could expand on and ask you questions. And I don't even think you've talked about flying airplanes at all as part of your path to becoming a radiologist, but we'll save that maybe for another time. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was an Unless exciting... you want to use the space now to talk about uh, your time as a pilot. Well, sure. Dr. Maltz was a pilot, and that was his interest. And on some weekends, you know, if, if I were free for the weekend, and, and if he was free, I would rent the plane, and he would give me a flying lesson. And, you know, it was $50 an hour to rent the plane, which doesn't seem like that much now, but for a medical student back in 1988, that was a lot. <laughs> But I was able to scrape together the money and I would right, rent the plane. He'd give me a flying lesson and um, I learned how to do flying with VS, VFR flying, which is visual flying with visual cues. You, you really can't fly that way now. You know, it's, you need an instrument rating, but um, it was an exciting summer. And, and again, that, that, that showed me that th this is a person, my, my mentor, Dr. Mounts, who had a great life, had other interests he was able to pursue. It just wasn't all medicine 24-7. And he just seemed to enjoy his work and his life so much. That, that was something else that really made, really attracted me to radiology. It made me think that this would be a great, great career for, for anyone, especially me. So that, that's... Really yeah, that story me. resonates with me so much, Mark, that uh, you, with mentorship and sponsorship, you literally and figuratively had the opportunity to learn how to fly. Uh, which is so powerful to me. And the idea of discovery, because you're right, medical students don't have exposure to who we are and what we do. We're not seen on TV or billboards. And, you know, we're often kind of behind the scenes. And I'm just so inspired by the fact that you entered medicine thinking about psychiatry and a patient-facing specialty and still found your passion and dream career in interventional radiology. I feel very fortunate that that's, you know, it's kind of, you can use the term maybe serendipity to describe it, but however you want to describe it, I'm just glad it played out the way it did. And, you know, and we'll go into this further in the, in the podcast, but another thing about radiology that people understand when they turn to the specialty is that you meet the most interesting and the coolest people you can imagine. And uh, in any specialty, but it, 
you know, in any setting, they're just interesting, cool people. And, you know, you meet these people and you get to work with them. And just, just another aside, when I began a uh, residency at UCSF, this was in 1991, I met a lot of more senior uh, professors in the department. And a lot of them were actually from Detroit, <laughs> from the neighborhood I grew up in, just a different generation. And some of them had practiced radiology in Michigan. Like I said, there's been a lot of crossover between the two sites. Uh, but it was just really amazing to see uh, these luminaries in the field from a different generation who grew up in the same neighborhood I grew up in. It, it was really interesting. It was kind of, it was really funny, you know, and uh, I, I can mention some names and people will recognize their, their names. <laughs> so. I mean, I think you over or you undersell just how cool the people that you have interacted with over your career. I mean, you've had the opportunity to work with absolute IR legends from Dr. Dave Williams, Dr. Ernie Ring, Dr. Gene LaBerge, Dr. Roy Gordon, Dr. Bob Curlin. Maybe this is a complex question, but how does that feel looking back on your career? And also, did you know what you were a part of? when you were in it as a resident and a fellow? Or I guess, you know, interventional radiology was sort of discovering itself, exploring its value to the hospital enterprise uh, at that time. Did you really have a sense for how great interventional radiology could be as you were embarking on your radiology training? Uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs> you know, the people you mentioned, Bob, Roy, Gene, and Ernie, when I saw them in action and saw what they brought to the table as far as patient care and uh, the amazing things they, they could do, the creativity that went into this, the imagination that goes into this, but, and, you know, you know, combining that with their experience as physicians, as radiologists. And yeah, I, I knew what, what a great field IR was at that time and that it was only going to grow in, in greatness and in scope. When I actually, when I joined residency at UCSF, there was an option back then to do what's called a three, two program where you do three years of diagnostic and two years of interventional. And it's for people who really cannot get enough of interventional radiology or people who are interested in an academic career in it. And I took an opportunity to do that. And, um, so I got a lot of exposure to IR. Uh, to the luminaries we, we've been talking about. And it just really made me realize right off the bat what an amazing field IR is and all the potential that existed then and that still exists in the field. I mean, there there are people listening to this podcast. There are people in high school that you and I are going to meet in the lab one day trying to recruit them to radiology who are going to do amazing things in our field that we can't even imagine, Right. And that, that's just radiology and interventional radiology in particular, that that's what our field is like, you know, you can think about there, there have been turf battles. Like if you look at perif peripheral vascular imaging, you know, that's something that used to be done mostly by us, but the imaging and interventions, we still do the imaging, not invasively, but a lot of the interventions are, are now no longer done by interventional radiologists. But as you know, that, that was transitioning out of our field. Other interventions were being developed in our field, such as the expansion of 
transarterial chemoembolization, uterine fibroid embolization. I remember, you know, when I was a, a fellow or junior, early junior faculty at UCSF doing um, my first fibroid embolizations at about the same time that we were kind of concerned that we were losing some of the peripheral vascular work to vascular surgery. So, you know, radiology is a field that based, that is so innovative that, you know, I, I have no doubt that, like I mentioned a moment ago, there are people, you know, who don't even know they're going to be radiologists who one day will be in our field, innovating amazing things. And, uh, if, as, and if there are turf battles down the road for certain procedures that we do, if for some reason we are no longer the main practitioners doing those procedures, we're going to innovate other procedures to take their place. So I'm very optimistic about the field in general. You know, Mark, you talk about innovation, creativity. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, don't get me started on robotics and AI, because there's going to be a pro for that in IR as well. But go ahead. <laughs> so, Mark, I hear you speak of creativity, innovation, inspiration. You're co-director of the Interventional Radiology Research Lab here at UCSF, uh, where just a couple of your projects have involved MR-guided interventions in remote navigation, as well as a percutaneous uh, venous chemo filter. Where do you see the, how, how has that experience been just being at the frontier and innovations within interventional radiology? What those projects have reinforced, and I, I knew this to some point to, to a degree, but these projects reinforce this, is that radiology, is that good research isn't done in a vacuum. For both of these projects, we've had um, numerous collaborators, and my major collaborator for these projects is uh, Dr. Stephen Hetz, and um, a neurointerventional radiologist, professor here at UCSF. And we have had numerous collaborators on these projects from all different areas, material science, chemistry, electronics, computer science, you name it. And um, we've collaborated with Lawrence Livermore Labs, Caltech on these projects. And it's been just a, just a very rich, enriching, fruitful experience working on these projects. Um, not just the project itself, but the op opportunity to collaborate with folks we've collaborated with. We've also been able to use these projects as a springboard for bringing students into the lab and getting them familiar with science, the scientific method, and they see us do these experiments and you can just see the excitement in their face that, you know, they're, they're seeing something they've never seen before. And then we bring them in and let them contribute. Uh, they, they can run smaller experiments, help us analyze the data. And then they see their name on a paper in high school or college. And this is happening. And basically, you know, it brings them into medicine. It potentially brings them in. Not all these people go into radiology, but some of them will. And, um, so that that's been a great experience as well, uh, coming out of the IR lab, the ability to do early outreach. We've collaborated uh, with Dr. Bucknor and his writer program, which is the outreach program. We've already seen some of our early high school students now in Stanford and Berkeley. And two of the ones I've worked most closely with, they are interested in medicine, fortunately, and I'll see if I can lure them into radiology. You know my saying, Bashaw? taking over the world one radiologist at a time. <laughs> You've heard me say that before. Well, well that, that's my goal. 
I mean, Mark, you have uh, so many hashtags uh, that I, I credit to you, including uh, all learners are welcome, uh, beyond surgical precision. You know, you've been within interventional radiology, I think, in some of its most incredible decades in time. And as leadership here at UCSF, you have spearheaded the role of radiology within the hospital infrastructure when they created the new San Francisco General Trauma Hospital. Can I ask what what was your mindset and how did you go about inserting radiology at all levels when they were creating uh, this new level one trauma center? San Francisco General is a safety net hospital for the city of San Francisco. And all people who trained at UCSF, the general holds a special place in their hearts because in our hearts, because it's one of our major teaching hubs for all specialties, not just radiology, but all, all of all the specialties. And um, it's such a powerful mission that we have at SF General. And I take pride in the fact that, you know, the, the patients there get care by, you know, a very committed staff of uh, city DPH employees and a very committed uh, faculty at UCSF. And they get the best care that anyone can get anywhere at SF General. Soon after I became chief there, um, in the late 2000s, I think it was like 2008 or thereabouts, the city voted to build the new SF General Hospital, and which ultimately became uh, known as Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center. And I was fortunate enough to be in some of the planning meetings uh, early on uh, when they first, when we first started working with the architects to lay out the hospital. And I made it a point to just continue to be involved in the planning and the development of this hospital uh, as it progressed, as the project progressed. By being at the table, you know, you, you can really kind of determine if you're fortunate and if you're at the table and if you have a cogent enough plan and perspective and proposal, you can kind of determine, you know, where this is going to lead, where, where this project will lead uh, for radiology in my case. So one of the mandates that was given to us by the CEO and the dean of the, at that time was to bring the services to the patients. For example, in the older structure, uh, the prior hospital, you know, radiology and interventional became very instrumental in the treatment of trauma, but, you know, it wasn't laid out in such a way and that it was easy for the patient to access that, to access that. Basically, you had a patient coming through the ED, which is on one level. They go to the OR, which is on a different level. Then they come back down to radiology and then go throughout the department to finally be brought to interventional radiology. So there's lots of transport, transporting of the patient. And that's not good with a critically ill patient. You want to get them to the, the, the treatment that they need Im immediately. So with that in mind, I was able to work with the architects to, and the hospital planners and other services such as emergency, uh, the emergency medicine, surgery, nursing, anesthesiology. We all worked together. It was just so an, an enriching experience. Worked together to put, to design the structure that we have now, Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, or ZSFG. So one way that this manifested itself, bringing the service to the patient radiology begins when the patient hits the door, a trauma patient hits the door in the ED. 
when they come in from the ambulance bay, they go straight to what we call the resuscitation room where they're resuscitated, they're stabilized. You know, all the lines are started, transfusions begin, you know, anything that has to be done in the ED invasively uh, is done there. And that resuscitation room is immediately adjacent to a CT scanner. So they, they can go straight to the resuscitation room. Then from there, they can go to CT and we can do what we sometimes call a, a trauma pan scan where the patient is scanned from head to pelvis and sometimes from head to toe if we're looking at the lower extremities for trauma. And we can act on, you know, what we see in those images. We have two CT scanners in the ED. We have, we have a busy emergency department, busy trauma service. One CT scanner is not enough, so we have two. Um, so that's one way that we're bringing the uh, services to the patient. Another way is, is with IR. And this is something that is kind of growing around the country, having IR suites in the OR. And we felt that that was probably the best way to treat our patients, the, the most effective way to bring the care that they needed. Uh, a lot of these uh, trauma patients come in and they may go straight to the OR. They may even bypass CT in some cases and go straight to the OR because they're that severely injured. Okay, so instead of bringing a patient back to a different, take to a different level of the hospital, what if they can just go around the corner, just down the hall and IR suite is right there? Or what if the OR has IR equipment in it already? Okay, so that inspired us to develop a trauma hybrid room which is OR8, which basically is a fully functional OR with the C-arm unit in it. So they can do an open operation in that room. Uh, and then we can come in and do our intervention or vice versa. We can do our intervention and they can do the operation, open surgery in that room as well. Right across the hall from that, we have a suite of, we have a system of IR suites, IR1, 2, 3, and 4. IR1 is a biplane, which uh, is now uh, the, the primary cath lab. IR2 is an IR room that we use. It has a CT scanner in it. And um, so it's a combined unit with CT and CR thoroscopy. And I can tell you having a CT scanner in your IR suite is a major game changer. And for sure, I can attest to that with the amazing uh, interventional oncology cases he, he does there every almost every week. Uh, IR3 is another biplane room, and that's where our neurointerventional colleagues do their amazing work. And IR4 is actually an intraoperative MRI scanner. So really severely injured patients can go from the OR straight to the MRI scanner just down the hall. Uh, in some cases, MRI can be used to augment uh, an interventional procedure. Uh, for example, there's a recent publication based on the experience of using uh, MR intraprocedurally for some of the neuro interventions uh, that are done by a neuro IR group. And uh, so it's amazing that, you know, we have that technology readily available uh, to help a patient in any situation. And again, I, all of this stemmed from our desire to bring the, the services to the patient, to bring the technology to the patient as opposed to moving patients around the hospital. And that the city of San Francisco was very generous and forward thinking building such a structure that allows for that. Uh, Mark, thank you for sharing. I hear lessons of synergy, um, equity in reducing the barriers for patients in terms of access to imaging and access to care. Um, I think the installation of, for example, mobile IR or 
a kind of a road service approach where we can bring the services to patients in the ED or the ICU is kind of part of the culture that you've created at San Francisco General. You know, you had mentioned turf battles earlier. Over the last decades, as you've kind of spearheaded much of the trauma care with some of our world-renowned trauma surgeons, how have you seen that interventional radiology and trauma care evolve together for the patient's benefit? I, I think uh, there's been good synergy between the two specialties. And I would say when I was in my training in early junior faculty, uh, we treated trauma patients then. Uh, our toolkit wasn't as expansive as it is now. So we have more than gel foam and a few detachable coils. Um, now we have a whole armamentarium of different types of coils, different types of catheters, different types of embolic agents that, that we can use in trauma patients. And I think as IR has grown as a field in general, through innovation and development and science, uh, the treatment of trauma in IR has grown as well and has benefited from, from that growth in IR in general. And our uh, trauma colleagues recognize that and they recognize that uh, we can bring to the table in treating these severely injured patients. You know, it, I, I think it would be very challenging to run a level one trauma center uh, without uh, capable IR service in collaboration with the trauma surgery service. Being in leadership, I was curious to see if there, are there are any memories or events that really stand out to you uh, in your history as chief of our department at uh, San Francisco General? In general, as pertains to trauma or just anything? Trauma, but in general, is, okay. is totally acceptable. Well, I, I think um, something that really stands out was when we collaborated to develop the trauma hybrid room. That that was, we initially were not going to have that as part of the new hospital rebuild, but, you know, one of the uh, senior trauma surgeons, Dr. Campbell, made a compelling case for it. Uh, I did some research in the area and I, I agreed with him and our chief of anesthesia at the time agreed as well that this is something that our patients need. And we're able to sit with uh, the hospital planners, sit with the architects, sit with leaders, the city leadership and make a compelling case. And they decided, yes, th this is something our patients need. So they actually, it, it's a, it's a very large room. So it actually contained, they had to distill two OR rooms into one larger room to fit all the equipment in there. Uh, so that that was very, uh, exciting uh, when we decided to, to do that. Just the entire, uh, layout of the new hospital and working with the architects. I got to know the architects really well. They were very creative and uh, innovative uh, group as well. And it was so much fun working with them and it seemed the final, going, going from the plans to the final product, that was also very, very exciting uh, for me, knowing that I played just a small role in you know, that coming into being, seeing the care that we render our patients in this amazing new facility that I, I will never uh, take that for granted or lose the underappreciate what, what we're doing for our patients. And again, you know, this isn't done in a vacuum. Uh, it's collaboration between radiology, anesthesiology, nursing, uh, surgery, surgical services, 
Uh, we all work so well together and so synergistically for the benefit of our patients at uh, ZSFG that that's always, that will always be a high point in, for me in my career, uh, just knowing that, you know, we work so well together and that I had even just a small part in the physical uh, layout that allows this collaboration and great patient care to happen. Well, I can attest, Mark, as you've described this incredible IR suite, I think one of the most incredible IR suites uh, in the world. I feel like a kid in a, in a toy factory every day. Um, but having the CT and hybrid angio suite is just absolutely a gift, I think, from the heavens to any interventional radiologist. Uh, you know, you had um, mentioned seeing your name in print and the joy and satisfaction that it brought you and now having manuscripted or authored close to 100 articles, multiple book chapters, mentoring countless faculty and trainees throughout, you know, California, UCSF and the world. What advice do you have for those who are thinking about a career in academic radiology, having been so successful yourself? Well, um, if I look back to the things that really helped me in my career, it was and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Michelle, it was really strong, solid mentorship. And I can't really overstate the importance of that. And I really hope that I've kind of paid that back or paid that forward in a way um, with my mentoring efforts with junior, with uh, trainees and junior faculty. I, I think um, the realization that, you know, radiology as a field in IR uh, are so innovative and there's so much to offer and so much opportunity for creativity and innovation and frank invention in this, in our field, that, um, that, that is also going to stimulate people to, to really work and do well in, in the field. A knowledge that, you know, although we're not a primary care specialty, we, imp we have a major, what everything we do impacts patients in a major way. And when I'm interviewing people who are interested in radio, who are applying for radiology residency, I, I make, I really bring that point home in that, you know, we're not seeing patients in a clinic. Uh, most radiologists aren't seeing patients in a clinic like primary care physicians are, but some radiologists are. And uh, most radiologists don't admit patients, but some of us do. And that's one of the beauties of radiology is that, you know, you can basically craft or tailor your career to suit your passion and your interest and where your talents lie uh, to render the best care for a patient sent to you, whether it's through the diagnostic realm, the therapeutic realm, or any combination of, of the two. Academic radiology, I think that um, it's so lends itself to people who have a curiosity or are interested in discovery, who have lots of questions about things, you know, why does this work? Why does, why is this this way? Can't, why can't this be done a different way? Uh, or is there a better way? And, you know, every day when I'm working with you, Vishaw, and our colleagues and our residents and fellows, I see that, I see that, that light bulb going off in people's heads. Why, why can't this be done differently? Um, is there a better way to do this? And that, that leads to a lot of, you know, developments that we're seeing paying dividends now and definitely will in the future, like you mentioned chemo filter, like navigating catheters 
magnetically in an MRI scanner, like ablating the gallbladder through cryoablation. I mean, these are things that people in IR were wondering, why why can't we do something this way? Or is is there a better way to do this? You know, that's also another real advantage of having a translational research lab where we can test some of these theories and answer some of these questions. And um, so, so I would say, you know, the ability to have that, to have access to imaging uh, at the lab uh, has been instrumental in developing not just my career, but a lot of academic radiology careers. So much of your response resonates with me, Mark, from mentorship, sponsorship, uh, innovation, outreach to medical students. Uh, I remember interviewing with you when I was a medical student. It still stands out as one of the most you know, poignant memories of my young career. You were just an inspiration the day I met you and kind of changed my whole outlook on life and wanting to be in San Francisco. A lot of our listeners are medical students or those aspiring to, to enter the health professions. What advice might you have for them uh, as you look back on your incredible storied, legendary career? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Hard and legendary, but I, I uh, have been very fortunate uh, that I made some of the decisions I made over time. And they weren't, they weren't all good decisions, but, I, but the important decisions uh, were, were uh, I made good decisions in those cases. Um, I, think, I think the best decision I made was coming was being a radiologist and another great decision was coming to UCSF or trying or deciding they wanted to come here and I was fortunate enough to come here. What would I say to young people who may be interested in radiology? Go for it. Go for it. it it's uh, a wonderful field. You can, like I said, pretty much do anything you want in this field. It's a very fertile field for research. Uh, you can do outstanding uh, and very impactful clinical care. We, uh, you know, just medicine in general, uh, whenever you embark on a medical career, you're, it's, it's a long haul medical school, internship, residency, lots of time away from your family. So you just want to be sure that it's something that you're really interested in and, uh, that it's your, what you feel you're meant to do. Cause it's a lot of time, a lot of years, but on the other hand, the year's going to pass anyway. Right. So. And I, whenever I was getting frustrated with all the, t- with how long this process was taking, you know, I, I would think to myself, well, the years are going to pass anyway. So what do I want to be doing five years from now? I think I'd like to be a radiologist five years from now. I think I'd like to be doing IR five years from now. So this time is going to go by. So let me just do what I can to put myself in the best position to do what I want to do five years from now. That's how I thought about it. Because it, it can be frustrating. Any, any Anyone in the medical field can tell you it can be frustrating at times and challenging and uh, exhausting. But yeah, I, the way I got through it, I thought, well, what do I want to be doing five years from now? Let me do what I can to put myself in that position where I'll be doing what I want to be doing at that certain time. So that, that helped me. That they may not help everyone, but that helped me get through the exhaustive training of, in a medical career. Special thanks to Aaron and the Back Table podcast team for offering this space as a means to center the conversation. Thank you, listeners. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you being with us. Be well. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. 
If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team lead is Kieran Gannon, with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhirter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Anne Dang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.